It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Saturdays in downtown Ottawa are normally a pretty sedate affair. But the last few weeks have been anything but normal. This was the moment police moved in to take back control of Ottawa's streets. Protesters have occupied the area outside Parliament for nearly three weeks. By mid-afternoon, at least 70 people had been arrested as police closed in on the core of demonstrators who refused to leave. Police say they'll work around the clock to clear the city's downtown area. Last weekend, police swept through the city, clearing a settlement of protesters. For three weeks, truck drivers from all over the country had descended on the Canadian capital to rail against COVID restrictions. The Freedom Convoy, as they called themselves, occupied the city centre with street parties and a chorus of honking day and night. They were furious with Canada's COVID laws and with Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. So with the protests now gone, where does that anger go? Was Trudeau's approach to clearing them too heavy-handed? In the past few days, we've been communicating directly with the unlawful protesters. We've told them they must leave, and we've warned them the consequences of disobeying these rules. If it looks like something out of Belarus, it is, but it's happening right here in North America. And now, with American truckers planning to shut down Washington, D.C. next week, how far has this movement spread? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times, I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how the truckers' protests divided Canada. This is disgusting. This is absolutely ridiculous. Arresting people at a peaceful assembly that we have the right to be here. I'm Charlie Mitchell. I'm the Canada correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times. I've been in Canada since... 2019. Charlie was out on the streets of Ottawa reporting on the protests at the end of last week as the police crackdown began. So on Friday, an enormous number of police officers, it's one of the largest police operations in Canadian history, 
descended on Ottawa. There were tactical teams, there were riot police from different provinces, including Quebec. There were police from Hamilton, Ontario, Toronto, Vancouver. They all turned up. There were snipers on the roof and there were helicopters overhead. And they encircled the protesters and they pushed them essentially over about the course of about 48 hours from the base of the protest outside a shopping centre all the way up Parliament Hill, past Parliament and the Prime Minister's office, pushing the people and then clearing the vehicles as they went. They also pulled people out of their vehicles and arrested them. They arrested about 200 people. By Sunday morning, there were just a few holdouts, you know, 50, 60 people milling around really quite far from Parliament, which was the main part of the protest. They had pepper spray. There were rumours that there was tear gas, but actually there wasn't tear gas. The police accused protesters of trying to block police with their children. I was down there and the protesters were saying things like, you know, when they got pepper sprayed, they were saying, oh, they, the government's using chemical weapons against us and things. And Charlie, this has developed into, you know, as you describe it, an extraordinary crisis. For a lot of us who are watching the images coming out of Canada and have been over the last few weeks, there will just be sort of a sense of how on earth did this begin? Could you take us back to the start? What caused the outrage? Canada has had extremely strict pandemic restrictions, not only in terms of vaccines, but also vaccine passports for restaurants, really strict lockdowns all over the country. At the sort of 11th hour, really, because uh, the pandemic was starting to ease, of course, we had the Omicron wave, but Mm. the cases were not too high. People sensed that we were slowly emerging from a very difficult two years. The Trudeau government implemented a requirement for cross-border truckers to get vaccinated, to cross to and from the US in the course of their jobs. This was also implemented a week later on the American side of the border. They implemented the cross-border vaccine mandate for the truckers, the truckers, 90% of whom are vaccinated, mainly took it on the chin and carried on, but those that cross the border and are not vaccinated could not work. They were furious understandably. Many of them lost their jobs and they decided that they were going to drive to Ottawa to basically protest against that cross-border vaccine mandate. They argue, of course, that they spend most of their time on their own in their cabins and therefore are not a public health threat and that that there's no data backing up the fact that they would be big spreaders of COVID-19. But for them, it's about it's morphed into an anti-government protest and they loathe Justin Trudeau because they see him as privileged and elitist. Justin Trudeau swept to power in 2015, but the popularity of his Liberal Party has been dwindling in recent years and he only just squeaked through last year's election, forming a minority government. These people were met along the road by thousands of Canadians who were standing on bridges or standing on the side of the road waving Canadian flags and cheering them on. They became the faces of of a wider movement of people who were fed up with mandates and a lot of people who did not want to get vaccinated and it had had real impacts on their lives. You know, people who have 
lost work, who have lost businesses, and they were met in Ottawa when they arrived by thousands and thousands of flag-waving protesters on foot or in pickup trucks and in cars. And Charlie, you've, you've been living in Ottawa for a while now. For you, on a personal level, what have the last... What has the last month been like? What has it been like living in the eye of the storm? It's been really tough, to be honest. It's been pretty much ceaseless honking uh, or blaring of car and lorry horns for about three weeks. The protesters mm. have been outside my flat uh, day after day, walking around with Canada flags and the F Trudeau flags, which you see everywhere, screaming freedom into megaphones. My girlfriend is a chef at a quite a prominent restaurant in downtown Ottawa. I've certainly not felt comfortable with her going to and from work alone. I've been out to cover the protests maybe nine, ten times. Never had any serious problems, but, you know, interviewing someone next to a sign that says media is the is a virus, it's, it's just been tense and difficult and tough. For the residents of Ottawa, it's been exhausting, dispiriting, very frustrating. The lack of police response has been upsetting and has caused people, some people to be too afraid to leave their homes, others to take matters into their own hands. It ceased to be a protest on about day two, and it became an occupation. Local politicians, provincial politicians have called it a siege. I think that's fair until, you know, the police crack down. This has very much been a an occupation, an encampment. It, there is a city within a city. They have extremely sophisticated facilities and organisations. So yeah, it it has not felt like like the Ottawa that anyone knows for three weeks now. And when you say a city within a city, you know, an encampment. I mean, what exactly did that look like? I mean, take us back to last week. If you were to take us on a, a virtual tour of downtown Ottawa, talk us through it. What would we be seeing? The main thoroughfare in front of Parliament is blocked by hundreds of trucks, four across, big articulated lorries, extremely heavy vehicles. Then there are a number of roads that fan off from it going south. And a lot of them, most of them are blocked, uh, several bl blocks down. You will walk past tents with kitchens inside, structures that have been built, bouncy castles, hot tubs. Bouncy castles? Yeah, there is a daycare. This is so unlikely. It's not what you think of until you're thinking of sort of an occupation. I thought it'd be tents and, you know, a few people queuing for, for a hot drink. Well, a lot of people have brought children. So there are bouncy castles and there is a sort of children's play area. Right at the top of the protest is the sort of main event. There are two dance floors. There's a big stage with a screen on it, a big screen that's been erected. There's lots of speakers there every day. That's just outside Parliament. The warren of kind of tents and support structures is very sophisticated. I was told that they were taking shifts to honk their horns to ensure that they never stopped honking, for instance. At the height of the protests, maybe at the end of the first week, it was probably from 5am until about 2am. That noise is what Charlie could hear inside his flat all through the day and part of the night. There was also a, a large propane stockpile, which was extremely dangerous, which was a 
you know, cause of great concern for, for residents. And what was that for? That was because they were constructing their, their city. They needed fuel, they needed supplies, they needed to power their heaters, they needed to power their stoves. So who exactly were the protesters? Because they weren't just truckers, were they? Well, so we've got about 400 big rigs, articulated lorries. Each of them has a trucker or two and often a wife and a child or two as well inside. They have a living quarters inside their trucks. Often all they really need is diesel and they're good to go. So fuel has been coming through the barricades and they top up their lorries and they keep them warm and they stay in there at night. Then we've got the height of the protest, 8,000 people who are from all over the place, a lot of them from Ontario, because Ottawa is in Ontario, but also from Eastern Canada, you know, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, little places like that, all the way west, you know, British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan. People who are either extremely fed up with lockdowns and, and mandates, or people who are a bit more sinister, perhaps, have some fringe ideas, as, as Justin Trudeau said, some people who are open in wanting to overthrow the government or wanting the resignation of, of Justin Trudeau. The people who come on the weekends tend to be there for the party a lot of the time. They'll be objecting to COVID-19 restrictions after two and a half years, but they'll be waving a Canada flag, dancing around. They'll be quite, you know, joyous. You know, one guy told me he turned up in Ottawa where he's called Jonathan Ford, skinny guy, very smiley, though. He said he turned up in Ottawa. He had two apples and a bottle of water. He'd been there about 10 days by that point and he'd been taken in by the truckers and he was really happy. He said, there's nowhere I'd rather be. <laughs> and he said, you know, he was fighting for freedom and he was, he, you know, basically considered Justin Trudeau to be a tyrant. During the week, it's the more intense people, the more hardcore protesters. Some of them are very paranoid, very conspiratorial. They talk about, some of them, about 5G microchips in, in vaccines and the, huh. the Great Reset and things. You never really know who you're going to get. It's not fair to say that everyone you speak to is an extremist or is far right. A lot of people are uh, simply fed up. Some of the people I've spoken to here have lost jobs, and not just truckers, but, you know, firefighters or government employees. So it's just anger on a huge scale. And there's something about truckers, maybe the fact that they are essential workers, that they were praised as heroes throughout the pandemic, that they are, as one woman said, salt of the earth, which really crystallized in, in people's minds the idea that they could, that they could do something about it, that they've, that they've been angry this whole time. And the trucker convoy is what ended up lighting that fuse. Just take us back to, you know, the, the reason people are protesting, you know, the, the COVID restrictions and the wearing of masks. Just set out for us, what are the rules in Canada at the moment? You know, how do they compare to Britain, for example? It's much stricter than Britain. The Rules are, for the most part, implemented by the provinces. So different provinces are stricter than others. But in Ontario, for instance, which is the most populous province, which is where Ottawa is, where I live, you cannot enter a restaurant, a cinema, a bar, a sports venue without a vaccine. You have to wear a mask 
indoors at all times, including at a show, for instance, or in the cinema. You can take it off, though, if you go to a restaurant and eat and sit down to eat. You need a vaccine to take a train. You need a vaccine to take a plane domestically. Ontario is bordered by Quebec, and in Quebec it's even stricter. So in Quebec you need a vaccine to buy alcohol. You need a vaccine to buy cannabis, which is legal here. They suggested uh, that they might implement a tax on people who were not vaccinated, although they eventually got rid of that idea. I mean, that that is much, much further than anything we have. It certainly is, yeah. It certainly is. And, you know, the, the thing is that public opinion backs it up. There was actually a poll which found that a quarter of Canadians were in favour of people who refused to get vaccines having a short jail sentence. With the country so divided, where does this end? The protests might have packed up and gone, but do they become a permanent political movement now? We'll have more in just a moment. After a quick word from our man in Germany. This is Oliver Moody, the Berlin correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks to the Stories of Our Times podcast, I've been able to bring you in-depth reports from the heart of Europe, from Angela Merkel's legacy and the assassination of the Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palme, to an investigation into how a former Third Reich official became one of the architects of modern Germany. This podcast only exists because of the subscribers to The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Throughout the protest, the truckers seem to have raised a lot of money to build this city within a city. Where was all of this money coming from? So the Freedom Convoy raised $10.5 million. About half of it, we think, came from the United States. Most of the rest of it came from Canada. And it's been quite interesting to see the people who have donated because there have been leaks. So we've seen junior civil servants, interestingly, and and people within political parties who have donated. But they also raised a lot of money from far-right groups around the world, including in Sweden and Australia and different parts of Europe. The problem was that the moment that GoFundMe, which was the crowdsourcing platform that they had raised the money through, realised that or was was informed that it was not a protest, but rather an illegal occupation, the money was frozen, essentially withdrawn. So GoFundMe said, you know, we'll give it to a charity or we'll refund it, but we're not going to give it to the protesters. So then they said, well, where can we get our money from now? They tried to go through something called Give, Send, Go, which is usually used for for Christian charity, charitable fundraising. Uh, a judge blocked Give, Send, Go from releasing that money. So essentially what happened was hundreds or thousands of people were promised that if they got to Ottawa in their trucks and protested until the vaccine mandates or the lockdowns and everything were revoked, that they would be adequately compensated both for their expenses and they would get money which was meant for them by supporters and sympathisers around the world. In the end, they got nothing because the money was frozen. And so that obviously created a certain level of anger, I would imagine. And that might have been one of the considerations when people decided that they were going to leave on the last day when the police were enforcing finally, and lots of, you know, dozens of them just drove away. And part of that might have been the fact that they realised that there wasn't going to be any money. The Emergencies Act will be used to strengthen and support law enforcement agencies 
at all levels across the country. This is about keeping Canadians safe, protecting people's jobs, and restoring confidence in our institutions. That ability to freeze people's finances and to send the police in finally to crack down and move the protests on, all of that stemmed from an extraordinary move last week by Justin Trudeau to invoke emergency powers. I mean, talk us through that. What exactly did that mean? So Justin Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act, which has never been used before. It gives the government the ability to beef up a police response. So essentially there was a blockage somewhere up the chain, which was causing police not to intervene and not to enforce the law. The Emergencies Act appears to have cleared that blockage. It basically gave the government the power to direct police to do certain things and to, in the end, clear the protest. The police chief of the interim police chief in Ottawa said that what they did this weekend, the clearing of the protest, would not have been possible without the Emergencies Act. But beyond the policing aspect, it it brings some really major financial penalties to the protesters. Essentially, it allows the government to freeze the bank accounts of people who are at the protest or the corporate accounts of companies which had vehicles blocking streets at the protest. As of today, a bank or other financial service provider will be able to immediately freeze or suspend an account without a court order. It also allows them to direct banks and financial institutions to seize assets and funds which were going to prolong the protest. It's the financial aspects, I think, which are the most powerful and the strongest. This is about following the money. This is about stopping the financing of these illegal blockades. You generally really kind of had the sense in the dying days and the the sort of dying embers of the protest that that a lot of the protesters had no idea how much trouble they were actually in. And that's not related to the fact that they might have been arrested. It's related to the fact that they might find it impossible to bank in the future, that, that banks might not want to touch them, that they might not be allowed to enter the US ever again, things like that. And a lot of that's to do with the Emergencies Act. And did those financial measures, did they kick in immediately? The protest organisers said that their bank accounts had been frozen. Chrystia Freeland, the finance minister who announced the financial penalties, she said that a lot of people had already had their bank accounts frozen and a lot of money had already been seized or stopped from aiding the protest. So it took place immediately, immediately after it came into effect. They were cracking down on people financially. I suppose people all over the world will be looking at this. And although you can see that he's trying to restore order to Ottawa for for the citizens of Ottawa. There is something sort of quite undemocratic about being able to use powers like that. The powers last for 30 days. Parliament has to approve them within seven days of them being invoked. At any point, Parliament can dial it back. I mean, whenever a government uses gives itself extreme powers to do anything, it's obviously a concern. They're being taken to court by the Civil Liberties Association in Canada. Has there been any effort on the part of either government officials or even Justin Trudeau, to, to actually sort of open up some kind of dialogue with the protesters, to, to meet them, to, to talk? There was. The, the mayor of Ottawa, Jim Watson, suggested that the government appoint a mediator. Ministers immediately said that they were, there was absolutely no way they were going to do that. There was a deal done 
through a negotiator between the city and the protesters at one point, but it was criticised, actually. All it did was consolidate the protests around Parliament. In the eyes of the city, at least, uh, the idea was to get the protesters out of the residential neighbourhoods where they were doing the most damage, really. But equally, it bestowed some legitimacy on them for them to be able to say the cities basically said that we're allowed to stay outside parliament. And, you know, at that point, they were still blocking massive roads and infrastructure. But no, beyond that, there hasn't been any attempt to. It, it's pretty hard to negotiate with people who, who want you to resign. But I will say that some provincial leaders in Alberta and Saskatchewan, and even in Ontario, actually, have eased public health restrictions while the protests have been unfolding. Generally, they've said that's related to the science, right? That the science backs it up, that it's not the thing to do with the protests, that we're at a good place when it comes to cases. And so the time is now to start to get back to normal. But, you know, the protesters obviously claim victory for that. But at the federal level, that is not something that Justin Trudeau would accept. I think it's phenomenally unlikely that they ever even entertained the idea of easing mandates to end this protest. Their position from the start was, this is an illegal occupation. This is an illegal protest. The right to protest in Canada is not in question. If you want to stand outside Parliament, hell, Ottawa is famous for protests. And it's certainly not a stranger to mass groups of people turning up from protests to like Canada Day celebrations and all sorts of things. But you cannot block vital infrastructure and roads for days and days and days and and get away with it. And so I, I didn't see at any point the, the prospect of them easing the trucker vaccine mandate or any other. And Charlie, is this all over now? I mean, did the police crack down put an end to it all. Where we go from here is really interesting. The, finally, the city of Ottawa is quiet and peaceful for the first time in over three weeks. The road outside Parliament is completely clear. All of the protesters have gone. There are small encampments on private land outside of the city where some people say, oh, you know, we're basically regrouping and then we're going to see what our next plan of attack is. But I'd be really surprised if they were able to establish themselves again or any, to frankly get anywhere near the parliament building again because of the way that this was completely screwed up by the authorities. I think they'll be really quick to stop this from happening. The barricades remain. The checkpoints remain. Police are still asking people what they're doing, why they're going downtown. So that's to stop protesters from starting again. But where the anger goes from here is not clear. And Charlie, that's a really good point. You know, does this now turn into a political movement? If that anger is unresolved, is Canada going to continue to be divided by the culture wars for the foreseeable future? We're at an interesting time in Canada. Justin Trudeau has won three successive elections, but he has lost the popular vote in the last two. People are fed up and anxious and afraid. It's been a brutal two years, two and a half years for everyone. America is in a state of flux and serious political discord there. That is a great worry to Canada, that increasingly Canadians see American strife as, as a threat to their country and security. And so at a time when people are afraid and fearful and worried and anxious and angry, political leaders on all sides have its pretty clear to see made things worse. 
There's certainly a lesson there for the near future of Canada and the rest of the world. People need to come together and talk about their differences rather than retreating into their camps and their tribes. And that's something that has been happening uh, a lot in Canada, aided by social media. And that perhaps is, is one of the reasons this got so nasty so quickly and got so far. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Canada correspondent for The Times, Charlie Mitchell. The producer today was Asia Fuchs. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>